Right, everybody, welcome to the 245th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man Sage here. And uh, man, that sure was an ass whooping, wasn't it? Nice, wasn't it? Nice to be on the other end uh, of one of those for for a change. I mean this this was blazer basketball. I think this is. Maybe not what we expected to be up by 33 at one point, but Portland gets the 115-95 victory, ties the series at at two. And Sage, we have a best uh, we have a best of three on our hands right now. I don't think I've ever seen a playoff victory where Dame hits the floor in terms of scoring output, but does really well rebound with the peripheral stats, and we win a game. I don't like that's not, that's all. Not just win a game though. Like demolish demolish a Denver team. Like if, if you would have told Mike Malone and the Denver Nuggets and their fans that game four, Damian Lillard's going to go one for 10 from the floor, one of six from three and only score 10 points. You're going to say, we got this in the bag. We're coming home up three, one, but what we have been yearning for, for the first three games of the series is for somebody to give him a little bit of help. And everyone came to his rescue. Dame did his part with the peripheral stats, as you mentioned, nearly had a triple double. Uh, He had, uh, I believe eight uh, uh, rebounds and 10 dimes. So great job getting everyone involved. And, And I think that's Tara mentioned this on our preview, the games where Dame doesn't have to do too much. Those are fantastic. He didn't, he didn't have to play that fourth quarter run, and that's going to be wildly helpful in the the best of three series that this becomes because he was played in a competitive game 40 minutes throughout the year. It isn't even playoff. Like, you know, normal teams with normal rotations, when you play your guy 35, you boost it to 40 in playoffs. Well, with Dame and CJ, we boosted like two minutes, so the the – the, the amount of rest that he got this game is going to be hugely important. There's also two ga- two days off in between games uh, four and five. We do not have to play until Tuesday. Gives the team a chance to enjoy uh, their Sunday. Probably go to Denver a little bit early to get acclimated again to the altitude. And overall, uh, I think you really put a little bit of doubt in, in Denver's mind with, with this with this victory. Now, if Denver would have played us close and maybe it goes down to the final wire, Denver's feeling good. They got their split. Now I, th- I think it does change their mindset a bit. Their role players didn't hit their threes. Those shots that went in in game three did not fall in game four. Uh, you look at the three-point shooting. Uh, Denver cooled off significantly after going, I believe uh, – over 48%, something like that, or maybe over 50% in, in game three, 13 of 44 from downtown, 29.5%. I love seeing Denver really get up there in those three-point attempts. That's not really their game. I thought Portland did a great job defensively. And then on the other side of the ball, after attempting 45 threes in game three, Portland just shoots 33. I've said it all along. 
30 to 40 is the three point kind of happy medium for, for me with, with this roster 12 of 33 didn't shoot it particularly well, uh, just 36.4%, but they get eight, eight points advantage in the paint, uh, 46 to 38. And they finally got stops, which allowed them to go out in transition, get the crowd involved, get easy buckets, 20 fast break points, Sage. When is the last time a Terry Stotts, even a Blazers roster, because Nate McMillan loved to slow the game down. I, it's probably the early 90s that, that the Blazers have scored like 20 plus fast break points. Uh, it was just, it felt like they were demoralizing to, to Denver, especially that long outlet pass to Norm for mm-hmm. the dunk timeout Denver Portland found ways to score easy. They found gold at the rim and they didn't settle for the three. Everything we discussed last episode, they took to heart. And I think they, they reaped those rewards in game four. I don't know if it's demoralizing just because you look at what Denver's done in this particular game. And it's like all of our, all of our good players didn't have good games. So it's kind of like the reverse of game two or game three, where their role players did well and ours didn't. They this is going to be a battle. This is going to be a long series now. I mean, it's guaranteed for six games and probably will go seven. It, it This is going to be tough. I mean, Denver had some floor moments and uh, I mean, it, it's excellent for us to have this blowout under our belts. Cause I, I feel very safe with us going into Portland, but this, this, this Denver team is here to play. I, I mean, this is, this is just, this is one of those games where they hit the floor and everything. And uh, game, th- this next game is going to be a, a, a it's going to be a battle. And I, I mean, shout out to Yusuf for playing those large, th- those bigger minutes that was, that was needed of him. He's going to need to have that uh, much longer leash for the rest of this this series because we we can't do this without him. I think three factors contributed to Portland playing as that they should play, and, and let's kick it off with what you mentioned, Yusuf Nurkic. He matched. He was able to match Nikola Jokic minute for minute. Only committed three fouls. Was never in any harm to get into foul trouble. What where uh, Terry felt the need to put him on the bench. He finished around the rim. If you're going to have Nurkic as a pick-and-roll threat, he has to be able to convert at the cup. Six of eight. And I I would say he outplayed Nikola Jokic. Uh, Jokic, seven of 18 from the field. Just one assist again. We saw that in game one, only one assist. That is the key uh, ingredient, I think, for Portland to, you know, become victorious over this Denver team. Now, do I expect Nurk to outplay Jokic again probably not but is it too much to expect that he can stay out of foul trouble and beat them on the offensive end of the floor absolutely Denver has no defense like Portland should be doing this Denver is not going to put up any resistance the middle of the floor is wide open and if Portland just takes their time which they did today played patient basketball they're going to find quality looks and they, they did that tonight. And, and I think Nurk was a huge, it was a huge boost. Like it wasn't him getting an early foul trouble or even him getting in foul trouble during a, a pivotal stretch where you can kind of sense the team thinking, Oh shit, here we go again. What do we do? Nurk played great physical defense with his body instead of his hands. He moved his feet 
had a couple of great blocks. I, I thought that the Blazer defense led by Yusuf Nurkic really, really led the way. I think they, they put their, their stamp of approval on this performance on the defensive end of the floor. I mean, Denver was averaging, I think, 115, 120 points in, in their two victories, 95 I mean, th- that is an incredible job defensively to hold a team under 100 points in a playoff game in 2021. So Nurk played the way we need him to play. And this is really the second strong performance from Yusuf Nurkic. So if you're a Blazer fan, you, you have to love what you're getting from the Bosnian beast. It's it's really, it's going to come down to Sage. Can he, can he stay out of foul trouble? If, if Terry Stotts is sticking to this scheme of we can't play Ennis Cantor because Ennis Cantor will get attacked and it would be a, he will be a humongous net negative. It puts the onus on Yusuf to stay out of foul trouble. We can't risk him getting into foul trouble and then us going the small ball lineup or even Ennis Cantor in, in large chunks against Joker. That's just, that's going to be a, you know, a minus 10 rotation for us. So if he doesn't foul, we put a, a similar body type on their most valuable player. Put Ennis in that position. He's done such a good job in the regular season. You can't put him in that, that tough position against this version of Joker. It, it, it just is it's a bad matchup. Denver is a bad matchup for Ennis. So Yusuf has to play without fouling and has to play big minutes. The second key factor I, I thought in, in Portland's victory and is something I think all of Rip City has been just begging the team to do was just they played desperate. I thought the effort and energy from the jump was there. Uh, I thought the defense was fantastic. I saw the rotations were great. I mean, I, I was almost in amazement watching us fight over the pick and roll, hedge properly, getting back into position, rotating around, stopping stopping their, their drives, uh, moving on the perimeter. There was great communication. We forced multiple shot clock violations, and it was our defense that led to that third quarter spurt. Portland was up 10 at the break. In the span of probably two and a half to three minutes, it was a 12-0 run. All attempts really at the cup. Uh, there was a lot of fast break opportunities because of the defense. So defense led to offense. And this is the type of effort and intensity and energy that we know this team can play with. And, and I think when we look back on this season, we'll be able to tell how far Portland went based upon how hard they played. I think it, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a conundrum with this team. It, it's kind of baffling to, to see what Blazer – team you're going to get in terms of the the effort but when they play like this locked in for a full 48 they are damn good can, mm. can we get that in game five i hope so but i was thrilled defensively they looked fantastic absolutely swarming on defense so first of all i'm going to give myself props um no humble brags here just a straight brag i called a big game last episode for norman powell Norm delivered in the biggest way. Playoff career high, 29 points, 11 of 15 from the floor. Perfect from three, perfect from the foul line, and even better. I saw two ladies exit the arena. They both had Norman Powell jerseys on, and they both had Understand the Grind uh, t-shirts underneath it. And I know that's Norm's brand. So I said, you know, 
I love your jerseys. And they said he made he made a mama proud today. So I assume that's his family told him we love Norm in Rip City, uh, showing all of the love. He was a beast attacking the rim, hitting his spot up threes. I loved that we got him initiated in the offense in the probably one of the first two or three sets. And yeah, he was, I thought he scored like five of the seven points. Yeah, he was on. He is our, I think he is our X factor because we do not really have a player that can finish at the rim like him, that can put the ball on the floor. He's just got that strong body type. Again, I compared him to a young Bonzi Wells when we had him in 2000. Denver has no answer for that. We have to put Norm in positions to succeed. We have to get him involved early and often um, because he can play like this. The attempts that he got, he's absolutely going to get these next couple of games. Yeah, it's it's sustainable. I, I, I think you forgot the most important. You, you mentioned it, but you didn't say that it's the third quarter. That third quarter that I we said the just third quarter. did you? Well, yep. the third quarter was the most important part because it gave us that margin for error. They took Nikola Jokic out for the for rest for that entire fourth. That was where we just got the lead and just marathoned it. So they couldn't, they had no chance because there was just such a big discrepancy in points scored versus uh, points allowed. I think that that third quarter was, I mean, it was the, the X factor for the uh, Blazers victory. I mean, I think Portland, they figured it out. If you, if you can't figure it out after watching this tape, then it wasn't meant to be hats off to Denver advance, you know, have fun with, with that next series. There is, Portland knows how to attack this Denver defense. They just don't have the personnel to stop it. They thought it was Aaron Gordon on Dame or, or, or whatnot. They have, they have no plus defenders. It's just not there. And I, I think if Portland stops the isolation basketball, they stop the quick threes and they share it, run it through Nurk. If you need it, let Dame do his thing, but they, they know what to do. And hopefully they, they take that, they, they watch the film, and they feel confident that they're going to be able to get it done in game five. I just don't see any way that Denver has a defender that can stick with Norman Powell. And the beauty of it, you put the pressure on the officials to call some fouls. Uh, I think Portland did a much better job at going to the rim, ended up shooting 25 free throws, hit 19 of them. That's how you win the game. Like the threes, they're fine if they're flowing, but – in the playoffs, it's half-court basketball. It's in the paint. Denver has no rim protectors. Our three-guard lineup, they all can finish at the, at the, at the cup. Keep going to the goal. It, it, it's value possessions. It's show the aggression that you showed today to earn that big third-quarter lead from jump. I don't think Denver's going to be going to allow to get punched in the mouth like they did today and not recover enjoyed the victory but i think we're going to go into a into a battle against denver uh on tuesday because dame got his rest but you you noticed that it was paul Millsap and uh, uh green ending that game i think i think they're going to be uh ready for us and now it's all about the adjustments what's mike malone gonna do what's terry stott's gonna do and how those those players can uh, execute on those ideas. 
But I do love Norm going against just no one defensively. Like Joker's not going to try and contest because he's worried about his fouls and his. I mean, speaking of Denver, I I thought Portland did a nice job of daring their guards to do it again. Hey, you did it it in game three. Prove it again. Like when, when you play horse and you make the shot, the other person misses and the other person's like, hey, prove it to put me out of this series. Portland basically begged Denver, hey, if you want to go up 3-1, it's going to be on the back of Austin Rivers and Campazzo. Campazzo was 3 of 10, Rivers 2 of 5. I thought Portland did a great job of not letting Porter Jr. get any clear looks. Porter Jr., 1 of 3. He and Aaron Gordon continue to be non-factors in this series. Um, I think, again, you beg Aaron Gordon to shoot the 3. If he hits it, that's just kind of what you have to live with. Yeah, if he has a ceiling game, we're congratulations, Aaron. Do it, do it in Portland. Yeah. So I, I thought Portland did a good job of sticking on Jokic. And Jokic did not get many open looks. And mm. I thought that, that was the key. We we really forced him into some tough attempts, felt him physically, and if he was swinging it around, we were staying on their shooters. And if if the role players are gonna hit that's fine. But again, I, I don't know if we're going to see ceiling rivers or ceiling Campazzo. I do think you can expect Porter jr. To play a little bit better. Obviously Jokic will as well. But if, if, if you're talking this, you have to say there's no way Damian Lillard who was averaging 38 points through three games is going to go one for 10 again. So oh, absolutely not. it's a given to take. So did Michael Porter jr. Really only take three attempts, three attempts in 23 minutes. I thought you were saying like three three pointer. No, like all threes. That he was one three for three. Yes. Now that we mentioned Michael Porter Jr., you know I'm going to have to go to it. We need to attack him some more. It, it it's not enough. It it's 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 there. Every second he's in, it's there. We have three guards that are dynamic enough to take him to the rack, get him into foul trouble. I, I want more I want my more Michael Porter Jr. attacks because the playoffs is all about finding weaknesses and exploiting weaknesses. I want more. I mean, really, outside of Paul Millsap, who I think is a heady defender, there's nobody defensively that Denver has that that worries me. I think you could almost spread the floor too if you wanted to and, and just attack. Because if you have four other shooters, the ball handler is gonna have a lot of space. Uh if Nurkic is finishing around the rim there's going to be a lot of space because they're going to collapse on him and he's going to be able to kick it out. There is so much opportunity for this Blazers team. That's why when we were looking at the series, you know, to me, Portland is their opponent. Can they play up to their standards? I mean, we, we've seen in games two and games three. Game two, they didn't bring it with their energy. Game three, they just didn't shoot the ball well. And again, their defense let them down. I thought in game four, they didn't shoot it particularly well, but their defense their defense won them this game. Their defense allowed them to get out in transition. That's what's going to that's what it's going to take. I'm looking at our stat line and no one outside of Norm dominated. I think Norm great. That that's that's pretty dang good. Well, I'm looking at like point ceiling. Like a seventeen like, for I'll take it. Well, absolutely. You'll take you'll take uh, seventeen points. But I I, I agree. Like, you know, 
that's within his standard. That's within his deviation of points. I look and the thing that excites me the most, 30, 30 minutes played, 34 minutes played, 34 minutes played. Man. 27 for Nurk. That's it. Just 27 minutes for Nurk. And the fact that we made it work with running three guys that are six, eight and under as the bigs, it's pretty, pretty awesome when Yusuf's not on the court. What did you think about Terry putting Ennis out of the rotation and inserting Rondé Hollis Jefferson? I know a lot of people don't like it, but I really do like it. I think it's, I think it's a much better uh, rotational choice because Rondé Hollis Jefferson is a athletic enough player to stay with whoever he's on. And Ennis Cantor, because of body types and his lateral quickness, can't. So this is this is part of the, the year where matchups dictate what you have to do. I wish that Terry Stotts in game two realized it, but he I think he has to stick to this. So you mentioned Rondé and the players that he's guarding. I noticed him particularly, or uh, excuse me, primarily guarding the perimeter players. He, he's out there 20 feet away from the basket. How do you feel about him being a perimeter defender rather than what most would think be a traditional paint defender? Well, I, th- I think that Rondé Hollis Jefferson, I think he plays defense as a three, but he plays offense as a five. His role is going to be the guy in the dunker spot offensively. So when Nurk's out, Rondé is probably going to be there at, in the paint trying to get the rebounds because he is a excellent uh, offensive rebounder and has the athleticism to dunk. So yeah, I, I think that he's that that that's his role. Is he's a perimeter defender, and then if you want to use positionality as like the thing, he's the three defensively and the five offensively. We talked about it last episode about Denver disrespecting Robert Covington. Still there. I, I thought Covington played so much better. The numbers may not show up, but the fact that he attempted five threes is Huge. a great sign. He hit two. We're at our best when Covington is that outlet and is able to make teams pay for, for doubling, just hitting those kind of backbreaking type of threes. Once again, he had 13 rebounds in game three. He had nine in game four. He's really giving you, I mean, just, he was tremendous defensively. Like we can't talk about Michael Porter Jr. and his lack of production and not discuss Robert Covington and the defensive job that he did across all of Denver's bigs, whether that's Aaron Gordon, Paul Millsap, or MPJ. Like Covington, when he is on just such an invaluable piece. It's great that he shot and made it, but it, it he just can't not shoot it. He can't the, be afraid like Rondé. Yeah, he can't. The, the offense creates that much creation to get him that open shot. He has to shoot it. If it goes in or not, I mean, in that given play, it's a, it's a positive. So when, when Dame or CJ gives him the ball with the space that he needs to shoot, he, he needs to shoot it. So, yeah, ro- when Robert gets those shots, it, it forces them to react because he's an active shooter. They know the percentages, but in those first three games, it was just like, he's not, he's not shooting it. We don't really have to respect it. But if he just attempts it, it puts a – you have to f- contest. 
So I, I like the fact that he launched when he when he got the ball. What did you think about CJ McCollum's performance? I, I thought his scoring was all right. 21 points on 19 shots, shot 48%, which isn't bad, but didn't get to the line, didn't make a lot of threes. What stands out to me was the peripherals. Yeah, exactly. He only commits two turnovers, and you know he's handling the ball quite a bit. Eight assists, which is fantastic for CJ. He had a few swings over to Norm for those threes. Four rebounds. Um, and he missed a couple of easy shots, too. Like, I still don't think we've gotten peak CJ either. So I think it was good that he finally saw the ball go in the bucket a little bit more. But I think there's even more room for him to produce. I can't look at, at what his usage was yet because they haven't updated it on the internet yet. But I felt like he was involved in so many plays with the assists. You know that he can score on almost anybody given the amount of attempts and the defense that he's playing against. He can he can generate eight assists is huge because he got those other players involved and then four boards, two six three guards to get uh, 12 rebounds. It's it's huge because we are admittedly a small team. So when when our guards are contributing rebounding, it's huge. And so CJ McCollum had a, had a great game, in my opinion, because of those peripherals. The, the points will be there. It's all about what he can do to get everybody else involved and then end possessions or continue possessions if it's an offensive rebound. I think the only area that I would l- – I mean, clearly, we were up by 33. I think we went wire to wire, so there's very little to nitpick. There were times when when we like when we went to the ISOs, especially to, to Carmelo. Um, again, let, let's move the ball around. The isolation basketball is it's it's such a thing of the past. Like this Denver defense will allow you to score. You just have to attack it, make them move uh, east to west, get them off balance, make them rotate. The bench played okay. Um, you get, I think, 12 points from uh, Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, he had 12. Ant gave you five on five attempts, and Rondé had a tap-in, which gave you two. Those were the the three uh, rotational bench players. Yep. So we're still not at that production we had in game one. And I do think if we are to win this series, we need another game one performance from 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 the bench. Yeah, uh, in in Denver, in, in probably in Denver, absolutely. You know, the problem with giving Melo the ball and having him be a usage monster because he has been the playoffs. He's he, he's handled the ball more than CJ. Is that he has trouble bending the defense. The way he scores is post moves and then getting them out of the position and them jumping into him or him getting the um, amount of space it needs for him to score. What happens when it's a mellow ISO is that the defense isn't broken. If mellow drives to the hoop, they can contest it. Where mellow does his best work is when the defense is already broken and they're reacting to him. So instead of him being the guy that creates it, he is now a linking player. That's what his role is. He links on to the uh, the dribble creation that was given to him. When he acts like a linking player, that's where we can see ceiling mellow. When he tries to create himself, it's only one way, and that's the defender fucks up. 
he doesn't gain the advantage. The defender creates it for him. So when, when he's the linking player, it, it's great. You get to see ceiling mellow because the, the opportunity is already created for him. Th- those two offensive uh, players off the bench need to, need to show up at least one more time for us to uh, win the series. I mean, absolutely, especially when you consider that two of those three bench players, Simons and Anthony, are offensively focused and really threats from, from downtown. I thought Carmelo got it going with a couple of threes. The percentages may have not been there, but I thought he hit some momentum threes. He hit some big threes in game three as well. Huge. My money is probably going to be on Carmelo, who being one that's going to deliver um, – but make no mistake, we are going to need the bench to have another performance like game one if we are to, to, to advance. We have, we have a question from one of our OG listeners, Rip Citizen, a.k.a. our man Peter. Peter wants to know, and, and I don't necessarily know the answer, maybe you do, but where has this effort been at? We've had it all along. We just haven't we haven't had it where all five players are acting like one. It it's been there somewhere and the the they just play desperate enough for it to be a major factor. I I I don't know. We haven't seen it, so I don't know. I mean, I, I would say Portland plays their best basketball when their backs are against the wall and, and when people kind of count them out and when they kind of are, are doubted and they may be questioned, it's so much easier to be the hunter rather than the hunted. And I, I think Portland needs to treat game five like they're the favorite, like, like they are the ones being hunted. And, and I think they need to come out and set the tone. I thought they did that fantastically in, in, in game four, game three, even though we started out great offensively, we let them off the hook defensively Uh, game one. We were on them. Denver hit a couple of shots to make it close, but that was few and far between and, and it wasn't sustained. And when we had them down, we didn't let up that 12 0 spurt to start the third quarter told me a lot about this team. They can do it. I mean, game five, it wouldn't surprise me if we came out flat and it wouldn't surprise me if we came out like gangbusters again. I mean, that's kind of the the frustration I think I sense in Blazer fans with this current roster iteration is you just don't know what team you're going to get from game to game. But I, I do sense that there is a confidence about them. They are a mature group. They... They don't get too high. They don't get too low. Clearly, they know they they fucked up losing game three. There's no more home court advantage. You now have to go get it back in, mm-hmm. in Denver. Thankfully, there's limited fans in Denver as there is in Portland. So it's, it's not a true home court uh, setting. However, we, we still have to go out there and we have to create our own energy. Um, it's, it's, it all starts for me on the defensive end of the floor. That's going to get every, that's going to get everything going. Yeah. It's great. If we go out there and we win a shootout 140 to 137, but it doesn't help this team long-term wins like today helps this team long-term because we shot sub 40% from three. We weren't really cooking, but because we played team defense and you, you hit it on the head, they were playing as one five as one. 
And we've heard that kind of the 77 team described as that they were all in unison. They all kind of almost like they had a, a hive mindset. They, they knew where each other was going to be. They trusted one another on both ends of the floor. It's now or never for, for this current iteration of, of the Blazers. I, I hope they take that same energy and enthusiasm for the game. They trust one another and they go out there and say, hey, we're going to give it our all. I'm going to believe in the person to the left of me and to the right of me. And we're going to either go, we're either going to advance or we're going to bow out, but we're going to do it in unison. Mm. All right. Uh, uh, my question for the day. Let's say this is NBA 2K and there are no untouchables. So everybody's on the market. Who is the player that you want in the NBA on this team? And what's your best trade offer for that player? I have to keep it somewhat realistic though, right? No, you you have everybody's available. You just have to woo that particular team with a trade. Who's the player and what? Uh, what do, what's your best offer? I mean, I think that we almost, we almost saw it. I mean, we got a little glimmer. Is James your number one? No. Okay. So this was rumored before the James stuff came out that, that Giannis was talking to Dame before, before he signed that extension in Milwaukee. I, I think Giannis is the guy. He can play the three, the four, the five. Defensive player of the year last year, two-time MVP doesn't need to shoot the three. I mean, he can, he can, he can make up so much of your deficiencies. He's able to. So if you, if you hear noises, Olga wanted to hear this podcast and she's also cooking dinner as well. So if you hear sizzling the pans going, I mean, we're just having a good time, but Giannis is, is the guy for me. I mean, you think of the pick and roll opportunities, just the points in the paint, uh, the defense, he's still relatively young. Uh, I think the offer pre-extension was like CJ Nurk and every single pick possible. I think Giannis is a very, very good uh, selection. Man, it depends. Who, like, if it's a one-year thing, you can go with someone older. But if it's like a multi-year trade, since you know you are trading all your picks for the next like six years, including like pick swaps, Giannis is very good what you'd have to do for team building is you have to surround us surround Dame and uh, Giannis with shooters. If, if injuries were off, you could get me saying Anthony Davis, but see the reason, the reason I, I thought of AD AD doesn't have the mindset that I want in, in but a, he has. Okay. No disrespect, but he needs his daddy. I think Dame could be his daddy. Is LeBron not daddy enough? And he still is inconsistent. The AD thing, like you really need the, you need the the dominant, the alpha to his beta. So I was thinking that Dame would be just enough of a dad for him to be. Like, just think about the the pick and roll between Dame and AD and then the the the, the switching you can do defensively. So that, yeah, I was thinking AD. You know, if it was the draft time, I'd say, yo, let's see what K can do. But I think I think Giannis and AD would be my top two currently. Because you got to think about Dame. Like, we could say Luka, but how the hell is that going to work with both of those? The ball in his hands. Yeah, the usage monsters. So if you wanted to go fun, and we could go fun, Steph Curry's the answer. 
because Steph doesn't need the ball in his hands. And you would just get, I mean, we saw what, what the possibilities could be in the all-star game. Like that would be must see TV every single night. I don't know if you win big with it, but God, that would be fun. Just think um, of like the days where both of them are hitting threes at like, uh, like the ceiling rate that that'd be, that'd be insane. But yeah, I, I think it would be, I know a lot of Blazer fans wouldn't like this, but if I couldn't do Giannis, I'd go Jokic. The pick, the pick and roll, the passing. I mean, Blazer fans love Arvita Sabonis. This is like prime Sabonis type of passing, a three-point shooting. I mean, it, it would be defensively. I know he's not going to give you what maybe Davis or Giannis would, but he's got a game that's going to just age like a fine wine. I mean, he's not athletic and he's still giving it, he's going to be the league MVP. Mm. You, I, with, with the Joe kick, you kind of have to like two, three and four have to be elite defenders. That, I mean, like when you have special players like AD or Giannis or Joker, you need to have the players that do what they're weakest at. So the team construction is different with every single one. But yeah, I just thought it was a f- fun thought exercise. Let's let's predict this game five. Game five. So as of so it's five seventeen Saturday afternoon or e- early evening after game four. Game five time has not been announced, but it will be Tuesday. I believe the series is Tuesday, then Thursday. Game six, Thursday in, in Portland. So game five, again, in this for fans of Oregon football, they'll be able to relate, or even just people who understand what Chip Kelly brought with the win the day mantra. It was never oh, it's a rivalry game, we have to get up, or it's the national championship game, we have to be hyped. It was Oregon versus Oregon, and he got that team to buy into that mindset that the only opponent that mattered was yourself. Portland has to be satisfied with this victory, but hungry for more. Like, yes, I I get it. They won game seven in Denver two years ago. But what we forget is that that game five was a blowout. Denver completely had their way. We do not need to go down that route again. Is it a route that ends in a Blazer series victory? Yes, but I don't think it's the necessary route to go. I think Portland needs to treat game five as if they were down 3-1 instead of 2-2. The effort and the intensity and the energy that we see on the defensive end of the floor is going to dictate who wins or who loses. Portland, you could ask anybody. Portland is the more talented team. Will they play like that? Will they play like their hair is on fire and, and they're they're just trusting one another? That, that's going to be the key. You get 18 assists from Dame and CJ combined. That's unheard of and huge. Absolutely. Is Dame maybe going to have to go on a mini run? Most definitely. But it doesn't mean he has to do what he did in game two, where that's all we did was Dame isolations and it didn't really get anybody involved. Um, yet again, I think my X factor is going to be Norman Powell. He he is a player that neither team really has that type of player. You know, you've got a small, stout guard, long wingspan, able to finish in the paint, can hit the three. Uh, Cerebral has championship experience. 
I think we need to, I, I don't know if he's going to shoot 11 for 15, but the looks that he got, he, he might, I mean, he, when you have Nurk playing the way that he's playing and you've got Damon CJ who have a reputation, there's so much gravity from those three that it's going to, there's a lot of area for Rocco and Norman to eat. And if those players take advantage of those opportunities, we're going to be heading back to Portland up three, two. And I think that happens. Uh, Portland, I think they found the formula in game four. Game one was nice, but I still didn't think we played great for 48. We played great for 48 and it started with our defense. I think we see another game like this. I think it's probably a little more grinded out, maybe a little bit more low scoring, physical. I, I, I expect it to get chippy, but keep Nurk out of foul trouble. Find ways to get Powell involved. Let Dame finish where he needs to finish. Blazers go up 3-2. You mentioned it. You can't let Denver get in your mind. They're going to make this shit ugly. Like this, this, They're going to be just as desperate. You can't let what happened in game two happen in game five. You can't let them influence you. Your performance is on you and don't let the, the, the physical play and the, 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 the potential shit talking influence you like it did in game two, where there was technicals and the game was just gross and really a long ass game. So, but if you're looking for a player, I got to go Dame, even in a, in a game where he didn't perform well in the, the, in terms of scoring, he did, get those dimes. He did get those rebounds. I think that this is one of those where daddy knows he needs to handle biz. So he's going to handle biz. So uh, I think Dame is going to have a, a really ceiling game in, in one area or another. It could be scoring. It could be assisting. It could be getting those boards because shout out to him. He, he did his thing, but yeah, I, I think you have to start with Dame on this one. Do you, are you picking the Blazers? I am. I, I still say, I still think it's a game sixer. Well, it's guaranteed to get better be. It's a sixer. Well, I think Blazers in six. Excuse me. That- Blazers in six. That is every Rip City member's rallying cry. It doesn't matter what series it is. could be a best of five. It's always Blazers in six. Hey, you and Tara both predicted Blazers in six. Uh, I think you both are incredibly smart individuals. So let's let's speak that into existence. Uh, where's my uh, dim sum question? Uh, again, on my uh, questions, shit. On, on what your is your favorite? Bread. What is your favorite dim sum dish? If that was the question for me, your question was the the basketball oh, one. What's your favorite dim sum dish? I think it's the on tot. My mom. So that's the egg custard dessert. My mom hasn't had dim sum in like, well, since the pandemic started. So she's been talking about dim sum for 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 a while now. So it kind of got in my head. So I, I would say if it's a dessert, it's the on tot, which is the egg custard. And then um, this might go, this might be a throwback to my uh, grandmother. She used to make those por- pork bows. So uh, shout out to you, Papa. What is your favorite dim sum dish? Uh, the bow is incredible. Uh, back when I, back when I ate meat, uh, red pork bow, absolutely. Or veggie, veggie bows, like just, just the dough. Have you had the banana ones? Yes. Yeah, there no, go. I've had banana flavored. So 
when Olga, Olga and I have been to San Francisco, I think two or three times, we always make sure we go to Chinatown. The The Chinese bakeries are a must. We, we load up there on the sweets, on the pastries, the breads, uh, all of the custards. There's banana flavor. Yes. So bao and any dessert. So the Chinese desserts are my shit. I love them so much. Back when you eat ate meat, would you try chicken feet? If I was at like, if you were in China, if I was like, if somebody was hosting me and they're like, this is a dish that, that I really love, I would do it out of respect. I wouldn't hunt it out though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, when, when it's dim sometime, my brother and I hunt out chicken feet. It's a lot of work, but it is good. That's just, that's just a little show off that I am as Asian as I, <laughs> as I claim to be. I fucks with the chicken feet. I mean, then, you know, there's the shumai and soup dumplings are always good. I missed him some. I hope Dump, that dumplings are dumplings are incredible. Anything with sweet and sour, please. Yes. What's your division of the soy sauce and chili oil? Or do you not? No, I, we, we, we discussed this last episode. I am a saucy boy. So do you put more chili oil or soy? I, I probably would go more chili. I like to keep the sodium down a bit. So I was a troublesome young, young child. So I would, uh, like, I think my grandfather put soy sauce on my rice one time and I cried about it for a while and then I tried it and it changed my life. So I'm more soy forward in my my dim sum eating and, you know, normal, normal rice. Yeah, yeah. So so shout out to my Gungun and Pawpaw. Shout out to you for listening to us. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Himalaya Podcast, Dash Radio, Nothing But Net Radio, Tuesdays, 2 to 3 four to five Eastern hit us up on Twitter. We, we are out here and uh, let's win game five. Peace. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night. Everybody. Let's go.